right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are. We're continuing our study. We're back in the Old Testament, first of all. Praise God. I don't know why. It just feels like we're back home with this set. Kevin, you do a great job here. We got a new painting uh, from Mindy. We've got Shelly. Rich is hanging out with his brother, so that's kind of fun. We got Kevin and Tom in here. But, you know, we're kind of winding down this, this thing called the Bible. 66 books, 730 lessons. It's broken up into 10 segments, and we're in our ninth segment. We're in the Minor Prophets. Minor Prophets are, uh, Pastor Israel calls them small prophets. No, they're not small. They are just short in, short in size in the book of the Bible, uh, as a book of the Bible. So obviously the major are Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. But today we're covering one of the Minor Prophets, Hosea who actually, he, his ministry is over the course of the period of time, you guys. Not only into the northern kingdom, but also the southern kingdom, but into four kings from the southern kingdom and at least four kings uh, in the northern kingdom. So here you have a whole uh, array of experiences that Hosea has seen. In the middle of all of this, God says to Hosea, Hosea, here's what I want you to go through. I want you to marry a lady named Gomer. Okay, first of all, get over the name. Okay, it's taken me a long time to get past the inner giggles. Her name's Gomer. <laughs> all right, Gomer is the wife, and I'm not going to write all their names down, but they have, at least that we know of right away, we have, they have three kids, right? And all of those kids imply that God is scattering them, he doesn't care for them, and he, they're not his people. Like, this is the image. Why? Because Gomer becomes a promiscuous wife. She becomes maybe a prostitute, if not at least an adulterer, who's going out having affairs with other men that's not with Hosea. And Hosea has to watch all this unfold. In the middle of this, as, as Hosea experienced all of these experiences, God says to Hosea, the prophet of, of God, I need you to unconditionally love your wife. In this image of Hosea and Gomer, Okay, it's the same image that God wants to paint a picture of, which is why he asked the prophet of God to go through this, is that it's God uh, representing Hosea and Israel, right, is the Gomer. And this is the picture that you have in all of this. God says, but I'm supposed to show unconditional love to Israel. This has kind of been the process. But here's what we've seen is that Israel is thick headed. (laughs) Israel is what we would consider if you go to Hosea 4.16, they are these stubborn heifers, these rebellious cows, for Israel is as obstinate as a stubborn cow. Now, Shelly, you guys have had the opportunity to work with cows. Have you ever had to like pull a stubborn cow before? Yeah, they're usually the ones that end up in the freezer. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, look, can the Lord now shepherd them like a lamb in the open meadow? I mean, the reality is I'm not going to deal with them. I'm going to, I'm going to kill them. And that's what he said to Gomer's kids. Like, I'm going to scatter you. You're not my people. And in fact, eventually, Hosea prophesies and says, hey, look, you're going to be killed. And if not killed, taken into captivity in 722, the Assyrian captivity. Why? Because you're thick-headed, stubborn cows in freezers. (laughs) And really, Israel is a picture of, and that's what you're going to see in Hosea 9, you guys, and Hosea 10. Hosea 9, J. Vernon McGee says, is, is that they've become, Israel's become a backsliding heifer who begins to look more towards the land and prosperity rather than the Lord. So Kevin, earlier language is that, you know, we had false idols and false worship and even fake religion, right? Now here we have this, okay, now we're going to start turning to prosperity into into the material things. So Hosea 9 in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Israel, 
Do not rejoice jubilantly, jubilantly as the nations do, for you have acted promiscuously, leaving your God. You have loved the wages of a prostitute on every grain threshing floor. Verse two, threshing floor and wine vat will not sustain them and the new wine will fail them. And in verse three, it talks about the land. They will not stay in the land of the Lord. Instead, Ephraim will return to Egypt and they will eat unclean food in Assyria. Kevin, remember the, the doves and the donkeys? But all of a sudden you think it's because, and look, they say they're not going to stay in the land of the Lord. They think it's in the land. What are they putting their stock in, Kevin? People. People, land, material, all of these blessings. And yet, if you go to verse 11 through 13, again, this is just a bigger picture of how Ephraim, right? How the tribe of Israel has gotten. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no gestation, no conception, even if they raise children, I will bereave them of each one. Yet, Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. And then it says in verse 13, I have seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a meadow. So Ephraim will bring out his children. Look at this, to the executioner. I'm pretty sure what he is prophesying is not good. Hey, by the way, Gomer, if you want to keep this lifestyle up, it will lead to death and destruction. That's what he's, that's the prophecy, right? By the way, Israel, Ephraim, if you continue to do this, you're literally handing your children over for death. Death. Sinful lifestyles actually lead to shorter lifestyles. I don't think people fully grasp that. God has a plan for your life. And if you decide to do it your own way, it shortens it at times. Hosea 9 paints this picture of a stubborn heifer. That's the picture of Israel saying, I like my way better than your way, God. I don't really want to be unified with you, God. I don't really want to go back to the days of my covenant. I'm kind of like what, I, what I'm experiencing. In Hosea 10, to be honest, it's really no different. Hosea 10, verse 1, it says this. Uh, let me paint a picture. Israel becomes uh, an empty vine. Israel is a lush vine. It yields fruit for itself. The more his fruit increased, the more he increased the altars. The better his land produced, the better they made the sacred pillars. I was going to say pillows. Uh, in verse 1, so Kevin, what this implies is, as, as they grew in prosperity, what happens? They count more on themselves. That's right. It's almost like I'm putting, it's, it's the divided heart, right? It's like you worship the, the love of money. You have the love of money, right? This is what I'm talking about. And the Lord, you, you can't do both. And in this process, the more that it increases in your life, the larger the house, the larger the land, the larger the, the, the animals, probably the more wives, all of the above. And then you begin to have more of this false worship mentality. Basically, you turn away from your first love. You cannot put your stock in these things of material. And so it gets to verse 6. Verse 6 says, the calf itself will be taken as serious. So remember this whole stubborn heifer, stubborn cow? Okay, fine. If this is how you want to live, the calf itself will be taken to Assyria as an offering to the great king. Ephraim will experience shame. Israel will be ashamed of its counsel. So picture, if I could, I can. I'm going to draw it. Shelly, do not, do not laugh at my, my cow. That's scary. <laughs> this is Assyria. Okay. The calf, he's walking. And he's going to Syria. And Shelly, can I use your terminology now to go to the freezer? Right? That's what's happening. 
this creepy looking dinosaur cow heifer turtle (laughs) is going to be taken to Assyria because they thought all of this stock was in their prosperity and their land. And God says, fine, if this is what you want to do, it's going to be taken to Assyria. I'm prophesying and this will be considered an offering to the great king. You're going to experience shame. You're going to experience uh, all of the above. He gets into verse 11. This is where he gets interesting. Ephraim is a well-trained calf that loves to thresh, but I will place a yoke on her fine neck. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow and Jacob will do the final plowing. In other words, even as the heifer continues to go, they're going to fight, right? They're going to fight this. They're going to stiffen up. They're going to, they're going to refuse. They're going to budge in this process. And that somewhere in there, you guys, they're going to slip and God's going to actually take over. Right. I will harness you from Judah will plow. Jacob will do the final plowing. God is going to ultimately what this says. J. Vernon McGee says God is ultimately going to judge these people. Looks good. Looks great. But ultimately you will see judgment come on your head. All right. This is Hosea nine and ten backsliding heifers going to Assyria (laughs) to be put in bondage. And so we go back to. Uh, 11 verse 1 through 4. I'm in Hosea 11, 1 through 4. This is kind of really want to spend our, the rest of our time. In verse 1, in basically 1 through 4, you see uh, like the rebellious actions is what you're going to see. It's a process. This is what I love about this verse. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. All right. So right away, you have this, this I mean, this picture of love. This picture of God loving Israel so much, Kevin, that he takes his people out of Egypt. Why is he taking them out of Egypt? Because he had taken them to Egypt to save them from the famine. So now he's bringing them out because I I care for them. Now, what's so cool is if you go to Matthew 2, verse uh, 15, this is connected actually to a prophetic word. Hosea 11, 1 says he stayed there. So now remember when Joseph and Mary, do you remember this? When Herod was going to come and wipe out the kids? Matthew 2.15 says he stayed there until Herod's death. This is Jesus and the family. So that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet, just so you know, would be Hosea. Hosea spoke this word that said, and it might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, when Hosea is talking this language, Kevin, do you remember our little dots that we used to do, Kevin? Okay, this language that he's talking about. Okay, so actually, let's just say this is Hosea's current time, right? Hosea is actually what? He's looking back. Correct. I mean, think about this. That's it's already happened. Right. So the exodus has already happened. Let's just put it that way. But then what's interesting is, is that he then he had to speak this truth into Christ, which then was fulfilled because let's just put it this way. At some point when Christ was born, he had to go back to Egypt. And then what happened, Kevin? God called him out. (laughs) It's that same language. So Hosea is actually looking back because that's what they would see. Right. That's the language that they would understand. But the reality is, is that Hosea is prophesying about Jesus to save his life, goes to Egypt. But yet God pulls him out when it's the appropriate time when Herod is dead. Really, all you can see in all this is, honestly, it's because of love. God loves his children. God loves his children, the Israelites, and God loves his child, Jesus. And both of them got pulled out of Egypt. It says in verse two, the more they called them, the more, think about this, the more they departed from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings 
to idols. So they, the more that they, the prophets, okay, that's the language, the more that the prophets called who? His children, right? The more that the prophets called them and spoke truth into them, spoke words of encouragement, spoke words of warning, what happened? The more and more they started to leave. The more that they heard the truth, the more that they turned back away from their covenant. And in that process, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offerings to idols. If you go to Hosea 12, 10 for a second, Kevin, if you don't mind, I know we're going to cover this tomorrow, but Hosea 12, 10, it says this. Look, look what the scripture says. I spoke through the prophets and granted many visions. I gave parables through the prophets. So here's this language, God speaking through the prophets. And that's what he's saying in 11, 2. He says, the more they called right them, the more they departed from me. That's actually a really de- depressing occupation. Hosea's got a really bad job. You know what his job is? To marry a wife that doesn't love him and speak into people. And every time he speaks into them, they leave. Boy, I got a good message for you guys today. You're going to probably come to the Lord today. No, the more that he kept talking, the more they left. Sometimes I wonder if this is my calling. (laughs) Not the first part, the second part. It's the theme throughout the the prophet. All of them. Yeah. Says this in verse three. And here's the progression, you guys, that I think is really interesting. Remember, in verse one, this is why I think he was talking back as well, as well as thinking forward. Because look what it says. Uh, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. So there's this image of a child. I brought a child out of Egypt. I brought my children, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So what did I do? I taught Ephraim, right? Remember, part of the northern Israel tribes, right? I taught Ephraim to walk. And then I was taking them in my arms, but they never knew that I healed them. It's a really cool picture of, really, of a father, right? Of a father. Think about this. You guys remember? TJ, do you remember teaching your son, Caleb, to uh, ride a bike? Yes. I'm willing to bet that he probably fell at least one time. Yeah, tried to catch him, but it doesn't work so well sometimes. I mean, the reality is, is, as we're learning in all of this, like, we're right beside him, but, like, we want to help them grow in the process. Kevin, you remember the these stages with your kids? At some point, you have to let go and let them fall. That's the only way they learn. Yeah. In this process. So here's this image of God teaching his kids to ride a bike, teaching his kids to learn to walk. I pulled them out of Egypt. Now I'm with them. I'm taking them in my arms. But they never knew that I healed them. You guys got any thoughts on that? What is it? What's that image? If I'm teaching them to walk, taking them in my arms, and then yet in this process, they never knew that I healed them? Any thoughts? I think it's just it's a their forgetfulness of what's been done pretty interesting picture so then here's where it gets really bizarre in verse four in verse four god is saying okay now we just went from like a father and a child image right to now he says i led them with human cords with ropes of love i don't know how else to tell you this that's just weird Right. This is that image of that doesn't look loving. Right. The only thing I can think of (laughs) is, you know, and we never use these, but I always got a kick out of the parents that always chain their kids. When I say chain, like they had the little rope. So if you go to the mall, right, you got your three kids and they're walking around with their rope. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of things. Like, why would you do that? Right. Well, the heart behind a parent doing that would be what, Kevin? To not lose them. To not lose them. To not get the, you know, to run away, right? 
so right away, this is kind of my image. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. To them, I was like the one who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. So it's, it's, this, it's this cool picture. Uh, Nelson's commentary says, okay, in verse 40, you have a drastic image from a father and a son to now a farmer is the image to an animal. Like that's the change of a scenery here. So that's where you have to shift gears. Like he's not all of a sudden, you know, doing this component. And so really what he's doing is, is you guys, he's putting restraints. And I like this thought and cords on Israel, not to harm them, but to what? To guide them. And because he cares for them. I love the ropes of love. Like part of unconditional love is showing them the way to go. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that exactly how Christ has done this for us? He's showing us the path, but it's a path that sometimes we don't really like. I don't want to go that way. I'd rather do this. And that's the reality in Hosea 11 is that he's showing them this process. Why? Because in verses five, six and seven, he's going to talk about the punishment that's going to come because of the rebellion. So verses one through four, we have this image of they clearly are rebellious people. Verse five says, yeah, but I'm with you. I'm guiding you to try to restrain you in this process. But here's the deal in verse five, five and on. But here's what's going to happen because you're rebellious. Israel will, in verse five, Israel will not return to the land of Egypt. And Assyria will be his king because they refused. There it is, Kevin, to repent. They refused to repent. I don't know. I think I... uh I think we've proven this over the last couple of days. There wasn't a broken and lowly and contrite spirit. There wasn't a humble spirit with the Israelites. So when they're crying out in Hosea 6, saying, oh God, revive us and restore us. And, you know, in three days, bring us back. It says they refuse to repent. Why? Because the image is Assyria is the new Egypt. That's the, that's the thought process is that Israel becomes the new Egypt, the future Egypt. And that's really what's going to happen. And so, Kevin, I think it's a fair statement. These ropes of love are what? Guiding them all the way to Assyria. Right? That's really the picture. I'm going, I, because I care for you, I'm going to guide you down in this direction because you don't repent. And I have to teach you a lesson in this process. Discipline needs to take place. And then in verse six, and here's where it gets really drastic. A sword with, a sword will whirl through his cities. It will destroy and devour the bars of his gates because of their schemes. I mean, basically, this is what this image of is, is the Assyrians are going to come in and clean house. Tom, you've been studying gates. <laughs> uh, they're going to come in and take over all of the place. Destroy and devour the bars of his gates because of their schemes. And then it says in verse seven, my people are bent on turning from me. Though they called on him, call to him on high, he will not exalt them at all. Verse seven is what we would call like this second reference of backsliding. Okay, if you go back to Hosea 4.16, Kevin, we've already referenced this at the beginning of the lesson, but this is important because you're going to see three major references of backsliding in the book of Hosea, at least. And this is be one of them. Okay, Hosea 4.16, for Israel is an obstinate as a stubborn cow. Can the Lord now shepherd them like a lamb in the open meadow? This is talking about backsliding here. Okay, what are you talking about? Then then he goes into uh, Hosea 11, verse 7. Same thing. 
My people are bent on turning from me. Though they call to him on high, he will not exalt them at all. So this image of backsliding. I think, Kevin, if you would, would you go to Isaiah 57, verse 17, that talks about this backslidden heart. Solomon references it in Proverbs. Isaiah talks about this as well. Isaiah 57, 17, because of his sinful greed, I was angry. So I struck him. I was angry and hid, but he went on turning back to the desires of his heart. You know, I don't want to lose this image of Hosea as a prophet. And it all started, he was supposed to marry a promiscuous wife. And what does she want to do? She wants to fulfill the desires of her own heart. That was a picture of what the Israelites are doing. And really, I mean, if you could just draw a simple little picture, Israel was going after their own hearts and Gomer was going after her own heart. And that's the image that you see. And you see that in Jeremiah as well. Can you go to Jeremiah Jeremiah 3, verse 6 for me as well? This image of a a backslidden person, uh, John MacArthur actually labels these as fools, the wicked, or the disobedient. In other words, completely contrasted against the godly and the wise. Uh, In Jeremiah 3, verse 6, probably said that wrong. Jeremiah 3, verse 6. Uh, Yeah, this is interesting. In the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? She has ascended every high hill and gone under every green tree to prostitute herself there. I I don't know if you can find a better image, Kevin, of a backslidden people. Unfaithful Israel went looking for something more. You know, I used to interact with a friend of mine when my wife and I managed apartments in Dallas. And uh, he actually went to seminary with me. Uh, He had an incredible job at at the local hospital. And he got hooked up with the wrong crowd and he, he, uh, he got addicted to crack, crack cocaine. And for about a year and a half, his life was a mess. And I say that because if you talk to him about why is he still, he will tell you this. He went after the same fix, that first hit. He says, I want it. I want that same hit that I had the first night. And he never got it back. But what did he do? He was always going after that desire that he thought was better than the Lord. Now, I'll tell you this. It was about two years ago. This was years after all this went through. He showed up at church one day and uh, he was totally clean. So it's just kind of fun to see this process of a backslidden individual, right, who had turned to the Lord. But then look in verse eight. And I think this is what I love. Verse eight, you guys honestly could be um, like a theme verse for all of Hosea. It's one that you wouldn't maybe think about, but look what it says. He says, how can I give you up Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. I mean, in other words, uh, just so you know, Adamon and Zeboim, these were cities. These were two cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. So he says this, how can I give Ephraim up? How can I surrender Israel? And I don't want to make you like the Sodom and Gomorrahs. I don't want to make you like Adma and Zeboim. No, he says, and look what he says. I've had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. And so what you begin to see in verse eight and on is like this crazy, like sympathy. That even though the Gomers are having affairs, God says, I still love you. 
I got to go there. Romans 5, 8. We, we've said this. Our, our phrase for all of the text it, describing Christ is unconditional love. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were living these lifestyles, Christ said, but that's why I died for you. I don't want you to experience the wrath of God. I want you to come to me because I'm here to give you hope. I'm here to give you future. I'm here to set you free. And yet some people think they have to clean up their act in order to come to God. Christ is the one that does the cleaning. I can't tell you how many times we're out on the streets and people say, well, man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've done in the past. And he says, but my heart is still stirred and my compassion is still for you. He says in verse nine of Hosea 11, I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim for I am God and not a man and the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. Now, remember, the last image that they ever had of a raging God was a lion who's going to tear him into pieces. But now look what he says in verse 10. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the West. Now, this image of a lion Kevin is clearly, they're not, he's not coming. And I love this picture that you have up here. This, this image of a lion, notice that he's not, um, he's not ripping somebody's head off. (laughs) It's a, it's actually a a unique, peaceful picture of as this lion roars, it's like, almost like a trumpet sounding and gathering his kids. I like what Tom Constable says. He says, this lion is not to devour prey, but to lead its cubs to safety. And that's what he's doing. And hence, when you see his children will come trembling from the West, you guys, uh, this is an interesting picture coming from the West. I want to make sure you guys have a, a picture here. Verse 10, uh, the returns from Assyrian, uh, Assyria and Babylon would have come from the East. OK, so what's interesting about this picture is this is not a description, Kevin, of people coming out of captivity. This is people coming from all over his people coming from all over the world for the millennium kingdom. This is the gathering of his people back to his presence. Can you go to Isaiah 11, please? Isaiah 11, 11 through 12. Isaiah 11, 11 through 12 says, On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coast and the islands of the west the remnant of his people who survive. Verse 12, he'll lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Is this not an incredible picture of, uh, remember at the beginning, he names his three kids. And you remember Jezreel was, it means they're going to be scattered. What is he implying now? Now the lion is roaring. And what is he doing? He's roaring to what? Call forth all of his people from all ends of the earth, four corners of the earth. And they're going to come back trembling from the West. And look what it says in verses 11 and 12. They will be roused like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. Then I will settle, settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. So you have to understand when we're saying they're coming from the West, it's not just from this little people group. It's literally his people from all over the world. Then I will settle them in their homes. This is the Lord's declaration. Ephraim surrounds me with lies. The house of Israel with deceit. Judah still wanders with God and is faithful to the Holy One, the Holy Ones. In other words, you will see ultimately, you guys, um, how do I put this? Just a bigger picture. They will be returning back to the land. There's a lot here with this picture. I just want to give you hope. That's really where I want to go today. I want to give you a picture of what God is doing. And I love what uh, 
One commentator says, would, I want you to hear this. Okay, these verses, okay, I want to go back to verse 8, because I think verse 8 summarizes everything of Hosea. It really does. It's unconditional love. It goes along with Hosea 3, 1. And Hosea 11, 8, okay, this is how it's described. These verses, remember, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Remember, I don't want to destroy you. I've had a change of heart. My compassion is stored. These verses are like a window into the heart of God. They show that his love for his people is a love that will not let them go. God's love for his people is unconditional. Christ's love for his people is unconditional, regardless of what they've done. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll continue our study tomorrow. Thanks.